Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on Newsstand Studios at Rockefeller Center in New York City. Joined, as usual, with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing? Good. Doing well? Mm-hmm. Yeah? We got uh, over here in our uh, in-house booth, Joe Hazen. What's up? Hey, how are you guys? Good morning. Morning. Doing all right. Doing all right. And back from Mexico in Long Island, we don't know why, because he does not live there, Jackie Molecules. How you doing? <laughs> My mom lives here. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Hello. Yeah. yeah. Mm, I forgot. Yeah. I forgot. Long, Where I'm from. Long Island. My hometown. All right. Which which uh, hometown is your hometown in Long Island? You want to call it out? West Babylon. West Babylon. So what percentage of cars growing up in West Babylon was Camaros? Oh, my God. I don't know. Like 50% <laughs> or like amount. 80%? Is that like Camaro? Like, is that Camaro Long Island or is that BMW Long Island? Mm, more Camaro Long Island. Yeah. I had a Buick growing up. I had a Buick Skylark, you know, like from my cousin Vinny. Oh, Buick Skylark. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. my car. That's, that's pretty strong. I like that. I just went to yeah. the uh, Automania show at, uh, at the MoMA. If you like cars, European cars, but you don't want to see a lot of cars, if you want to see, like, an art museum's interpretation of what's interesting about cars, it's worth going to. Yeah. Oh. They're not very big on American cars no. there. They only have one American car in, its co- in their collection, and it's a Jeep. Really? Yeah. I like Jeeps, though. Right. Jeeps are nice. Yeah, they have a freaking cool. smart car. No Skylark. How about that? Crazy. Yeah. How, old, how far does it go back? Uh, well, that's the thing. It's not like, so if you're a car lover, it's not like going to a car museum, right? So it's, it's basically, it's kind of more about uh, mid-century modern design, mid-last century modern design. So it's like, you know... Um, Little sports job guys, like a like a really pretty Jag, like a Citroen DS. Uh, what about like those? Uh, the, was it the Corvair? Remember those Corvair? No, you know my my freaking yeah. So the Corvair, well known for being uh, blowing up, blowing up, right? That was what Ralph Nader kind of made his bones on, right? Wasn't it? Wasn't it the one of the early? Yep, exactly. Yeah, it was like the Pinto of its day. My grandpa owned one, and I remember. Do you remember the Pinto was the car where like you just touch the bumper and it explodes? You remember that? I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, the movie I referenced about three three or four shows ago with Val Kilmer called Top Gun, one of the gags in it, not Top Gun, um, Top Secret, one of the gags was like all these guys are in a Pinto and then like someone like pulls up behind him and just goes, tink, and it, the whole thing just explodes. So I, like, I think of that. I, I, I believe it was that movie. I love 80s, like stupid 80s gags. Like I love them. I love them. Uh, Nastasia and I can talk about uh, my favorite Gregory Hines gag uh, later if we want. But right now we have a caller. Caller, you're on the air. Oh, no, you don't. Nope, we uh, lost our caller. We sorry. lost our caller. Well, if you want to call back or if you're listening live on Patreon, call in your questions too. 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. Uh, so anyway, Gregory Hines is in a movie with Chevy Chase called Deal the Oh, we got the caller back. Caller, you're on the air. Hello? Hey, hey, what's up? Hi, Dave. How are you? Doing well. Good. Uh, so I have a kind of a weird conundrum that I was hoping you could help me with. Uh, All right. My oven is broken, and I'm taking it apart and trying to fix it. But in the meantime, I don't have, like, a toaster oven. I have my burners. I have my. I have a couple inductions. I have a couple searsalls. I have a microwave. But how do I, like, properly heat something without the use of that convection, you know, barring, like, lighting my grill, you know? Well, how long – how – wait, so you're saying the convection on your oven is broken, but the oven itself still operates? No, no sorry, j- just the range, just the, just the burners operate. Right. The oven itself, like, I don't get lights on, which means it's probably something early on and, like, there's some wire loose that I have to find. But right. in the meantime – I don't have that, nor do I have a toaster. And so, yeah, barring, like, you know, like, firing up my grill, which I love to do. Right. How do I properly, like, reheat or cook or toast something, you know, without an oven? Well, I'm contractually obliged to tell you the Searsall can do all of those things, right, Nastasia? Yes. I'm obliged to to tell you that. But um, Which which I've done. Which I've done. But it's... It's kind of a travail to, you know, take something from cold to cook. Right. So your oven is electric, right? Correct. Right. So. uh, And the range is is gas. Oh, nice. Uh, Listen, 
I it, you you could go around and do like a, a a bunch of crazy nonsense. Like you could get like a, a Dutch oven, put a rack on it, and then build it into an oven by insulating the top and putting it on a ring. You could do all of this nonsense. That or, was yeah, that was my thought. Yeah, or just get yourself like a Breville Smart Air like uh, toaster oven. And here's here's why I'm going to say that. Uh, uh. The large oven is great to have. It's awesome. That sucker is like uh, probably on the order of uh, somewhere between somewhere around five kilowatts of power going into that thing, right? So it's kind of an okay. energy hog, and it's heating up like a large block. Now, as we go into the winter, it's right. not going to be such a big deal that you're heating up your place, but it's just a lot more energy efficient to use a smaller oven uh, like a like a, a toaster oven, right? So the 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 yeah. Anova is like a little bit big, right? The like the Breville Smart Air is big for a toaster oven, but what's nice about it is is that when you are cooking, when you get your oven fixed, it can operate like a normal oven, and it can take like a full chicken. You know what I mean? And it has a oh, very nice. it has a very fast convection. So like they, I, I hesitate to use the word because I hate it because it doesn't exist. But the air fry setting on it has a pretty high <laughs> right. It's not real. has has a, a high convection yeah. <laughs> rate, and so it's really good for doing things like dehydrating, uh, you know, not dehydrate. It does dehydrate as well. So you can use it as dehydrator. Does it go, does it go low enough to yeah. like dehydrate? It works great as a dehydrator. Oh, cool. The only issue with it is, is that it, you know, it doesn't have as many racks as an Excalibur, but as soon as I got that, sure. I moved my Excalibur into storage because I don't have room for an Excalibur and, 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 and it's that. also great as like a, it's like a warming oven as well. And yeah. you can broil and yeah. you have the bagels. Okay. It can proof. Yeah. All right. I'm going to look into one of those. Yeah, it can proof. And so then for, s- for sub 200 bucks, you have a, a backup there, right? And it's, I mean, I find it useful when I had to move it out for a while because, you know, I was doing a lot of tests with the, uh, um, with the steam oven, with the Anova steam oven, but, you know, and I love the Anova, but it's just not as nimble. So my family was like, bring the toaster oven back. And I have a giant oven. It works fine. You know what I mean? They don't talk that way. But, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. um, so sorry, just one last thing. Does it does it have a steam set? Because no. I also dehydrate. I also proof. But OK, so there's no but I could just, you know, throw some cubes in a tray. Yeah. And when I when I, I uh, when I when yeah. I proof, I, I, I proof covered in it. I pro- always proof covered in it. Right. So, OK. Yeah. OK, right. great. Well, thank you very much for the advice. I appreciate it. Hope you all are staying safe. All right, good luck and be careful when you fix your oven. Don't zap yourself. Nastasia no, Lopez. Already did. Oh, oh my God! <laughs> Nastasia Lopez is deathly afraid of electricity. Of, of electricity, such that like I could be hold, I could be holding up like I, I could be holding a pin no, and attached to that pin is five hundred pounds. It's going to crush me. And I'm like, Nastasia, hand me the pliers. I'm going to die. She's like, Will the pliers shock me? Will they shock me? Right or wrong? Yes, yes. Why are you so afraid of getting shocked? I really hate the feeling. I hate the feeling. But it's, you're more than hated. There's lots of things that you hate that you do daily, like talk to me. Yeah. But like, why is it, what hey. is it about electricity? I don't know. I don't know. I really hate the feeling. All right. So people, I'm going to go on a slight, nah. And you used to threaten me with the, uh. I didn't threaten you. I said, come on. I wasn't a threat. I was saying, come on. No, you said, I'm going to shock you. With- I didn't say, I'm <laughs> going to shock you. I said, why don't you let me shock? There's a big difference okay. between threatening you, but you would never agree to do it. No. All right, so here's what, what we're talking called? about, people. All right, yeah. here's, here's the thing. So uh, ikijime is the uh, Japanese fish killing technique. And I'm proud to say that in the United States, we were some of the first people who were researching that crap. Am I right about that, Stas? We were some of the first people way back in the day researching uh, Japanese fish killing techniques in, in here in the U.S., <laughs> trying to read as much of the Japanese material as we could, talk to as many Japanese chefs. But the, the basic concept of it is, well, ikijime is just fish killing, but the the the... The, the um, leave the term is shinkanuki, but it's a long time. The spinal ablation technique, where you run a rod uh, through the uh, spinal cord of a fish and zap its spinal cord as a way to improve the uh, quality of the of the of the meat of the flesh. We did a lot of work on it, so, such that a company sent us a muscle tester. So, for those of you that took high school biology, you, when you dissect the, you, you euthanize the frog and, and you get the muscle, the gastrocnemius or whatever you pronounce it, gast, you know, the, the, the leg muscle out of the frog, and then you, put, you zap it with electricity. Joe, you done this? Jack, you done this? Anyone? No, I've never done that. <clears throat> mm-hmm. All right. never so, done you, that. so you zap the frog muscle and it goes, poof, poof, and, it, and it like pulsates when you put the electricity on it because you're exciting the muscle. 
And so, uh, you know, one of the claims was with the, you know, the ikijime that we were doing with the spinal ablation is, is that the muscles retain their ability to, to jump more. They retain their, they keep their potential longer. So they sent us this little muscle shock meter that's like a, that you're supposed to stick onto the fish and see whether the fish contracts at all when, you know, the dead fish contracts at all when you put it on the muscle. All right. So I would shock myself with it because what, what else am I going to do? You know what I mean? And, and, I, and I, Nastasia never agreed to let herself get shocked with it. No, not, not one time. No, I I used to work in the garage with my dad, like on stuff, and he would do a lot of our le- electric work. And I remember being he's shocked. trained, by the way. He he's, he's a, not a you know he's a mean technician. he's a lineman. Well, yeah, yeah. But like electrical is different. He won't do hardcore electrical. You know. Well, what's hardcore? Doesn't he climb telephone poles? Yeah, but like we, <laughs> I mean, yeah. how much more hardcore does it I get? That's know. real hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I remember being shocked on like things. I really hated it. Shock with what? With one twenty? In this, house, in this yeah. house I grew up in, um, there's a in, in our garage. We have a refrigerator, like an extra refrigerator. And growing up, every single time I would go to turn the light on in the garage, it would shock me. Oh, and man. it's like I would never learn my never learn my lesson. But then it came to kind of like not enjoy it, but it was like it was just light enough to be like, oh, that's kind of cool. I don't, I don't enjoy know, the taste in my kid. mouth after no, you get shocked. No, I hate that too. Oh no, yeah, that is it's weird. A, so I'll tell you I'll, two two shock stories that I had because it really is dangerous. You can get there was a kid killed. Did we talk about this like uh, a couple of weeks ago with lightning. A whole like a group of kindergartners got hit with lightning. One of them what? died. Really? Anyway, yeah. Sad. No way. Um, so couple couple of times I got shocked. Memorable times I got shocked when I was a kid. I used to uh, find and disassemble oscilloscopes. So like old oscilloscopes from like the, the you know, the 50s, like the, that looked like, you know, those 50s movies. I had storage oscilloscopes. I had all sorts of really cool. So uh, I don't know. How do you describe an oscilloscope to someone who doesn't know what an oscilloscope is? Um, it's a good question. It's like it, when you look at the screen, there's a kind line. It's like radar, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's cool. It's it green. It's cool. Yeah, it's green. Yeah. Shows you frequency waves. Yeah, yeah. So when I was a kid, they used to watch this thing called Marvin and the Magic Movie Machine where the computer was an oscilloscope, right? And you, and you, and it makes that like line that you, you know, anyway. So I used to play with them. And uh, I remember they, they had these ones from the 60s with modular units in them. And I was uh, completely unattended. Nobody was paying attention. I don't know what the heck my parents were doing. My mom was being a doctor, you know, hoping I didn't kill myself. My dad was being an engineer. I know, whatever. So I pulled... I pulled them open and I put my finger right up against uh, like a 400 volt terminal in the back of the oscilloscope. It's like, blam! And I got blown across them, but it didn't kill me. I guess it wasn't very much current. It just hurt like hell. Like 400 volts mm-hmm. hurts like hell. The other, the other shock one I used to love was uh, you guys, uh, you know, Joe and uh, Jack have been, you know, done, been around music people, right? So when I was in uh, college, obviously I had no money. So I bought uh, an old, so I was in college in the, in the nineties. Right. And I was buying uh, equipment from the seventies used and used equipment was free back then. No one wanted old equipment, especially unless it was like some special tube crap. So I bought this thing called a custom with a K amplifier. That was, have you guys seen these? They're vinyl. Yeah, of course. It has the, the soft, the soft uh, padding on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like Eddie Munster's car. Great great bass amplifier. That's what I had. I had a custom with a K bass amplifier Mm -hmm. ahead and I had a twin 15 EV cabs Mm, that I I was running. I was loud as, you know what I mean? I was loud, dude. Anyway, uh, of course, the problem with being a bass person is you have to lug all that freaking equipment everywhere. So anyway, so I got my custom with a K amplifier for like $110 at a used shop in Hartford, uh, Connecticut. But that sucker was not grounded at all. So every time I touched the cabinet, I got blown back. Mm-hmm. Every single time that I had my bass and I went to go flick the metal switch on the front of the custom, I would get blown back. Mm-hmm. Worth it, though, because who had the money to buy a properly grounded uh, amplifier? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, they do the same thing when you're like you're using like a laptop and you go to touch the laptop and you're like you're done. You're like you're gonna fry something. Yeah. Oh well. Okay. Because nowadays you're worried about the equipment. Back then they were just worried about you. Well, I mean, no one was really worried about me. <laughs> no one was really worried about me. Especially Randy Scott, the jerk who became a math professor who uh, stuck a drumstick on purpose through our speakers because he chose to live in the housing unit right above the music practice room. It was a known thing. You know what I mean? It's like the idiot who moves in above a bar and complains. Don't you hate that guy? Hate that guy. I hate that guy. The bar is here. You moved above the bar. 
That's your problem. Yeah. Yep. Randy, yeah. I still don't forgive him. Randy Scott is a psychopath. For any of you that have Randy Scott as a professor, he's the one person on earth I will just call out here right now as a psychopath. <laughs> and I don't think you can change, right? I mean, you can change, right? You could change. You can get better. You can get worse. If inside you're at your core, if you're a good human being, you can change if you're presented with things, right? But if, if, if your core is that you're a psychopath, right? You can't change that, I don't think, right? You're not going to grow. If you didn't have a conscience in college, you're not going to grow one. No. Apparently, very good mathematician, though. Very smart guy. <clears throat> you know? Mm. Just goes what, to show. But what happened to that? What happened to your speaker cabinet? You put a drumstick through it. I mean, that does change the sound in a cool way. I mean, pff, yeah, but I mean, I'm not freaking, you know, Nirvana. I'm not doing this stuff on purpose, you know? I put duct tape on the cones. I didn't have the money to recone those things. Eh. But you know what? Like, my equipment, I played so loud. Everything was so distorted anyway. And then anytime we would play in a, in a club, back then, nobody cared about the bassist at all. They would talk to the guitarist. Oh, what do you want? We're going to mic you. are going to mic your amp, all this stuff. Bassist, put it through the direct box. For those of you that, okay, so the direct box is something you plug your bass into the direct box, and it goes right to the board where the sound guy who universally had a mullet back then, so much so, mullet wasn't a term that people used for that kind of haircut back in the 80s and 90s. So we just called it the sound man haircut. You know what I mean? Anyway. I digress, as usual. Uh, again, uh, we didn't talk about it that much last week because, uh, you know, uh, Dorothy Kalins was on. But Alexander asked when we're going to make spins alls again. Alexander, I do not know. I do not know. If we do it, it will be with a, um, a Kickstarter because we don't have the money to pay for a whole round to bring in. And it's months out. We have, do not have any word from the factory. You would not believe how hard it is to get something like that um, produced once the factory stops making it. Right, Stas? Yep. We would like to. We would like to. And, uh, okay, I spoke about Miguel with his graphite pans a little bit, right? I yes. spoke about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you have any more questions. I also talked a, about, a little bit about Bill's shag bar kickery problem, but I'll, I'll, t I'll go more into detail. So the shag bar kickery is uh, a fantastic hickory tree. Uh, I believe it's Caria ovata, I think. And uh, you can recognize a shag bar kickery because the bark on it hence its name, shag bark, looks like it's peeling off in like long strips, right? It looks like it's coming off in long strips. Um, and it also happens to have, other hickories have very good nuts, but the, the shag bark hickory is considered the, uh, it is the royalty of northern nuts, right? So like, I, you know, we don't really grow pecans here. So pecans and shag bark hickories are close cousins, right? The, the difference is, is the pecan is relatively easy to shell and a hickory is incredibly difficult to shell. And so the hickory, therefore, never became – and they're also they, – they, they take a long time before they become a nut-bearing age and then you have to fight with the freaking squirrels. They're tall trees, so you have to it's – a, it's a whole thing. So hickory nuts are expensive uh, but delicious. Um, but the shagbark hickories, which grow a lot around here, and in fact, uh, I don't know how far south they grow. They, I know they grow all the way down to southern Pennsylvania and probably even further down. Uh, and then they grow all the way west. I think I know they go all the way through to Ohio. They might go all the way through uh, the plains up north all the way over to the Rockies for all I know. And uh, when you peel the bark off, the outer bark is sloughing off, right? So the stuff that's peeling off is not going to hurt the tree. Don't peel it all the way down. Just like peel some of it off the outside. Break it into tiny pieces. If you have a vac – rinse it with cold water. If you have a vacuum machine uh, – you know, break up the little pieces and do a vacuum infusion just to get the water into it quickly. Then uh, use like, you know, a bunch of water, bring it up to the boil and then let it steep. And then if you, you know, once you remove the wood, if you find that it's not concentrated enough for your flavor, well, hell, you can just reduce it because why not, right? Reduce it to the flavor you want and then take it to 50 bricks and you're done. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, okay. We also talked a little bit about what Micah should do for his large format uh, meats. And we said it's going to be tough and no one really cares what it tastes like. So just make it fun. I would like some. You know, I've never done an underground cook. You ever been in an underground cook, Nastasia? No. Joe or Jack, you been in one of those underground cooks? I have never even done an underground, like in the earth, seaweed clam bake. You ever oh, done yeah, one? I've done that. Was it good or was it just fun? Just fun. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Not good, no. but fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, like, because everything was viciously over or viciously under? Under. 
Oh, so you didn't build enough of a retained heat, huh? So then, yeah, and then Ariel had to fix it all by building an actual fire. And yeah. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the classic. Look, uh, sometime it's it's since I don't have an outdoor like I you know I'm not uh, you know I don't do this, but some someone has to just do the calculations on how much energy you need to dump into the earth in order to use the entire earth as a retained heat masonry oven. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, then you would know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because like, I feel like if you did this like four times by the third time, you'd be good at it. Then the fourth time would be good. The fifth time, then you wouldn't do it for 10 years and you'd forget and you'd come back and you'd be bad at it again. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, no one, no one, uh, no, no one is great at bowling. When they first start, you have to bowl some first. I'm terrible at bowling. I hate bowling. Why? I don't like sports where you have to wait your turn. Golf, bowling. So what's a sport where you don't have to wait your turn? Like a like a flag football, you know. You're all But then if no one time. throws to you though, then you're just you're you're still, waiting. Well, you, yeah, but you're still there's a chance you could get the ball. But if you're playing soccer, oh, so you just want the chance. Yeah. You don't need to have it. So if you're that person just standing there and no one's passing you the ball, you're fine with it because theoretically you're in it to win it. Yeah, but I like tennis because the ball. Well, tennis, I mean, yeah, yeah, tennis, I mean, you're always playing. Mm-hmm. What about badminton? That's a good game. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. You know what's a great game? You know, you know what I would like to you up on sometime? <laughs> Ping pong. Let's go. Yes. Do haven't we done that? We haven't I don't done know. that in years. at my place. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, just so you know, I'm sure you can all imagine this. Nastasi and I get real aggressive. <laughs> things like ping pong. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. You know what we should do? Hmm. We should do engineers versus uh, versus us. We should have Jackie Molecules and Joe on one side and doubles. We would suck at doubles. We would we would like, we would be the worst you doubles. And I? Oh yeah. I don't know. I don't know. No, we, we, we'd we, have to know whether our desire to f with each other would be stronger no, or we, weaker we, we, than we our would, desire we would, to win. We, our desire to win would win. All right. You hear that? You guys are on notice. You're on notice. All right. They don't care. They don't care. All right. Uh, did we talk about uh, did we talk about this question that Zachary had? I don't know. Uh, we talked a little bit because they uh, we we so, w- listen. I'm going to get in touch with uh, they they want a list of Maria Guarnaschelli's books. I'm going to try to get in touch with uh, my uh, editor, uh, which I owe her more work, uh, Melanie at Norton, and see whether or not we can get. Uh, a person. Oh, also, there's an author I want to have on, but there's no reason for me to have her on. So, so I need someone to make up a reason for me to have her I on. I will. Who is it? Uh, Mary Roach just came out with a new book. She's like one of my favorite science writers. She wrote Gulp. She wrote Stiff. And she has a new book called Fuzz that's about like animal-human run-ins where the animals are doing things that are technically illegal, like monkeys stealing things from people. And she has a story where a monkeys pull out people's IVs and then suck on the oh suck on the God. on the solution. Strong, right? Then how do you respond to that? You know, you know what the answer is? They hire a bigger, meaner monkey <laughs> to pee all over the property of – so like if you're rich and you have a macaque problem, you can hire someone to bring their langers in to pee all over your property so that the macaques are like, I ain't going where the langer pee is. Hmm. Anyway, so I need an excuse because it's not a food book. I mean, it's interesting. We can do like what? I don't know. I also like there's that tree ring scientist Valerie Choi. I want to get on because I love dendrochronology, but I can't think of a food related reason to have a dendrochronologist on the show. Trees produce food. Yeah. All right. Anyway, somebody think about it. So, uh, also, uh, Zachary said, I don't know if I talked about this, uh, Kenji uh, Lopez all suggested removing the cap from a household gas range to get a more focused flame on a walk. Does this deliver more heat? And is this dangerous at all? Well, uh, I'm trying to think when the, I mean, I have a, a serious, we're getting fishbowled. I have a serious uh, burner at my house that doesn't have a cap. So it's been a long time. Do either of you have the, the thing with the cap on it? No, I had one with a cap on once when you pulled it off, it didn't change the flame at all. Anything that you could do to change the flame, it's not going to be, it's not going to be dangerous. If you can remove the cap, it's not going to be dangerous. Um, I don't know how much it's going to help. I think the thing that you can do most to help with a with a crappy home range is to uh, you know make a ring to keep the flame inside if it's coming out. The other thing you can do is just go buy a walk burner. They're amazing. You can get a standalone outdoor if you have outdoor space. You can get a standalone walk burner, and they are 
ridiculous. They're so awesome. Do that. Uh, all right. Uh, wait, did you say – we don't have a caller, right? You didn't say it. Okay. All right. Uh, now, got to figure out which questions we haven't answered yet. Okay. Uh, Stefan Raziel called in uh, via Instagram. How do you have a question about cocktail preparation using my Hatsuyuki ice shaver? My plan is to pour the cocktail over shaved ice in a coupe glass. Should I dry shake all my ingredients before I pour over the ice? Or should I just measure out the ingredients and pour them without shaking? How did you do it at Booker and Dax in existing conditions? Thanks. All right. It's a good question. By the way, uh, I need to get my ice shaver back out. Now, now, now that it's going to get cold, right? Mm-hmm. Jerk. What a dummy. I have mine in storage. I love my ice shaver. Anyway, I have two now. Ridiculous. Um, here's the problem. So you guys like uh, – do you, like? what are your guys' feelings on shave ice in general? Love. Yeah? Which style of shave ice do you like? Soft. But I mean like uh, do you like it with like the, the uh, coconut milk and like uh, condensed syrup? No. You, you like it like – you like like the Spanish guy with the, with the giant block and the scraper and then like the things uh, – like You the, have juice. The things of juice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Joe? You a shave ice guy? I love shaved ice. Yeah? What style? That style? Like with the little block on the, on the street? That guy? Love those. They're kind of crunchy too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like those guys. Uh, but you, what, where, where are you sitting with that, Jack? Where, are you, where, where's your shave ice head at? No Jack right now. Oh no, we lost Jack. Oh, that's what that was. We lost Jack. Jack went from. Uh, he's in Long Island. They don't have the internet in Long Island yet. It hasn't made it all the way out to uh, to Babylon, where he is in uh, in the Long Island. Anyway, so the shave ice that we're talking about is a is a Japanese shave ice machine. There are some inexpensive versions of the Hatsuyuki that you can buy now for like like a quarter of the price. Um, there's a company in Hawaii because that's where it's the most popular that ships them out. And there, I've I have one of the cheaper ones and I have the real Hatsuyuki. So I will tell you this: uh, the cheaper one is not as nice. It will make shaved ice fine. So if you're rich, buy the good one, which Nastasi and I found it. And I carried it on my back while we were lost in Tokyo and kept on – we had a – we were in Tokyo. We went to the, the chef's district. Remember this, Nastasia? Mm-hmm. And I found the – and it came in a flat thing. as heavy as hell. And I had it like on my back. And then you just kept showing the business card of the hotel to anyone on the street who had tried it. And we were just asking them to point us in the direction of the hotel. I remember Mark was with us and he's like, you guys like doing this kind of stuff. And we're like, okay. we hate it. We hate it. <laughs> and also, Nastasia and I are so cheap. That we didn't turn on data. So we had no way to find oh, – because yeah. this was back before you could just pay like $10 a day and get data. And they were like, if you even look at your phone, it's like $100 <laughs> yeah. a day. We're like, we, huh. took a, we took the bus eventually with it. Yeah. That's how we got And we had back. no idea. We were just looking for mm-hmm. the hotel out of the bus windows. It's kind of a nightmare. Anyway, uh, so I got a very good deal on it, which is why I got But they're much more expensive here. Anyway. I digress as usual. The problem with um, shave ice and cocktails is alcohol is an incredibly powerful ice melting uh, thing. So if you listen back to the episode when Quinn came on to talk about his uh, gelato obsession book, you'll remember that alcohol uh, has a huge amount of uh, anti-freezing power. And so in cocktails, it melts ice tremendously quickly. So what you need to do, what we used to do at, at Booker and Dax is uh, we would put half of the cocktail, we would premix it, we would put half of the cocktail into the coupe glass, then we would shave ice directly into the coupe ga- uh, glass, and it would start melting and create a slush, and then we would make a giant mound of it, uh, so it would come looking like a mountain out of the out of the ice shaver. It looked real pretty, and then you can change whether you like it crunchier or softer on the ice, like Nastasia likes it, depending, you know, we got, you, we got your Joe, who likes the crunchy, we got your Nastasia, who likes the soft... And then you bring it to the table and then you pour the rest of the cocktail over the top and it instantly melts all the ice down and drops it right to the flush line on the, um, on the drink. If you want to have substantially more um, ice left over, then you're going to need something bigger than a coupe glass. You're going to need like a bowl and it's going to get real slushy and soupy, um, but just experiment. That's how we used to do it. That good enough answer, Stas? Yep. All right. Uh... Seagrade wrote in, uh, please explain the science of stirring. Uh, in other words, why does stirring help prevent my sugary barbecue sauce from spilling over the lip of the pot when bringing my sauce to a hard simmer? Hard simmer. What do you think about that as a phrase? Fine. Uh, hard simmer. I was reading. Uh, so I, every once in a while, there's words that I wonder whether Nastasia is going to hate. Close your ears. Earmuffs. Earmuffs. Spores. 
I was reading about spore prints the other day, and these people are making uh, like T-shirts where they they walk around. These are mycological-minded folks, and they put mushrooms on their back, and they make spore print T-shirts, and they walk around with these spore prints. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, Nastasia would hate that. <laughs> she would hate Wait, that. they grow mushrooms on their back? No, 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 no. Oh, I mean, that'd be awesome. No, what, what they do is, is like they're walking around the forest. They find an interesting mushroom. They take off their, their shirt. They put it down and they put oh. the, the gills of the mushroom down and they let it do the spore print thing. And then they put their shirt back on and it develops into like, it looks almost like, like a, like a, like a, like, like they got sucked on by space leeches, mm-hmm. you know, and through their mm-hmm. shirt. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. something that freaks me out. The leech. Mm-hmm. I don't like the leech. Uh, here's the, here's the science. Here's the science for you. Uh, and it's an interesting point because I, I was actually dealing with uh, this topic in my book recently. Um, so when something is thick, right, uh, what happens is it, it, is it gets kind of superheated at the bottom, right? And uh, as it does, it's forming all of these bubbles, but they can't readily make it to the top to disperse. So you get these kind of large bubbles and you also have like a much thicker, more viscous solution. And so it has the ability to hold bubbles more. And so they build up and they have no way to get out until they build up kind of violently. And then they woof up and poof out over. That makes sense. So when you stir it, what you're doing is you're allowing that gas that's building up into those big bubbles. You're breaking those bubbles and letting them get to the surface. You're also uh, preventing their – so in, in a thick sauce, right, in a thick sauce, in water, you have maybe not even like, like most one or two degrees difference between the top and the bottom because convection works, right? In a thick thing like a barbecue sauce, convection doesn't work anymore because – you know, the natural convection that happens isn't enough to actually circulate it. It's not moving around. So that means the bottom can like actually build up a little bit of pressure. It gets all the way up to the boiling and sometimes even beyond, which is how you scorch the bottom of the sauce on the pan. And then all of a sudden, when the bubble gets big enough to make it through the sauce, boom, it comes up. And so when you stir it, you're getting the entire barbecue sauce to the same temperature. And when you get the entire thing to the same temperature, it can boil more gently and you can uh, ventilate it. Was this a decent answer? Does this make sense? Yeah. All right. Um, Nick Robertson writes in, what do you truly sacrifice when subbing citric malic and or tartaric acid solution for true lemon or lime? Is it mouthfeel, aromatics, uh, more? Is it reduce the, is it worth the reduced uh, cost per, uh, per item? Um, I mean, you lose a lot. It's like, it's the difference between, you know, like a real fruit and like uh, acid. I mean, look, it's like fruit is not just acid. It's also flavor, right? So if you look at like one of my favorite techniques, acid adjusting, you take a fruit that doesn't have enough acid and you add acid to it to, you know, bring up the flavor of the fruit, right? So you can use it as an acidified fruit. But there's always that fruit flavor there. The flavor of orange is something other than just, uh, you know, citric acid. The flavor of a lemon isn't just citric acid. Now, lemons are so high in citric acid that sometimes all you perceive is a citric acid, but there's other flavors there. Lime especially has a lot of flavor, like in the oils and in, in, in the fruits. Um, and you can taste, uh, remember those uh, sweet lemons that we were tasting, Stas, at, yeah. the, at the place? And you're like, nah, not as interesting, right? Because it's just lemon. I'm sorry, lemons. Lemons just aren't that interesting as a fruit flavor, you know what I mean, compared to like, let's say, mandarins. But uh, they definitely do have a flavor. So you're 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 losing that real citrus uh, note. The other thing you're losing, of course, is that the pulp that's in there, if you're going to use it for like a, a shaken cocktail, you need real – like uh, acids have no, um, no kind of uh, – uh, surface active property. So they don't help a drink stay foamier or make a nice uh, texture on, on a shaking cocktail. So that's why, you know, when you're shaking a cocktail, you never want to use clarified or just acid-based things because you're not going to have the right texture, right? And stir a drink, it's uh, not as, as big a deal on that, but you're still not going to have um, the kind of the depth of flavor. Now, if you like it, you like it, right? But uh, in general, I try to only use acids to augment real, uh, real fruits or real base flavors. Um, anyway, you know, look, uh, taste is not in dispute. If you like the flavor of it, who said that? That's dumb. Of course you can dispute somebody's idea of what tastes good, right? It's ridiculous. Degustibus non What's that? What's that phrase? You guys remember it? I don't know. Anyway, it's ridiculous. Of course you can, you can, whatever. Um, 
Brian wrote in, I'm trying to get around Nastasia's rule of one question per person, but what are all of Dave's French fry recipes? <laughs> what do you, f I mean, Brian, that is a long, like I could, I, like. Go on the blog. Well, the blog. Watch the movie. Oh yeah. You should watch the French fry movie, which is, what's that on now? They just released it on something. I don't know. I don't agree with some of the, like one of the people in there says that uh, McDonald's French fries are still good, which they're not. They're not. I mean, they're, they're, they're good hot. They taste like cardboard when they're cold. Right? Are I you, haven't had McDonald's. You don't like French fries. I forgot. I, forgot. I, honestly, I haven't eaten at McDonald's in a very long time. Really? Like years. Decades, maybe. Really? Mm-hmm. You know, When's the last time you, you eat there a lot? Uh, the kids like it. So, like, they would, like, on the drive-thru, they'll ask to go through. But, no, I mean, I basically have a milkshake. I love fake shakes. You know, did we talk about Grimace already on the air? Yes. Oh, he's made of milkshakes? Um, when I graduated from college though, I was that guy that went to McDonald's, ordered the cheeseburger and then individually asked for all the toppings to be put on it. So they were huge, but they cost the same amount. So if you go to McDonald's and you're like, I want a cheeseburger, but I want tomato and I want lettuce and I want onion and I want pickles and I want, and like, you can ask for all this stuff and they'll completely trick out the cheeseburger for you. Same cost, same cost. Like I was also that guy at Roy Rogers who completely, completely just ran roughshod over their free fixings bar. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They still is Roy Rogers still a thing? I don't know. I don't know. Free fixings bar. Uh, so anyway, the issue uh, with French fries, I'll, I'll give you some hints. As Nastasia says, read the read the blog post. Um, Okay, you have to choose what size French fry you want to make. The, the recipe is radically different, and different people like different things. Do you want a half-inch? The answers, the, the only things that are valid to me, I like half-inch fries. I like three-eighths-inch fries, okay? Uh, I don't really like the style of, the thinner style of fry. They're much easier to make. The thinner the French fry, the much easier it is to make and have it stay crispy. That's just the truth, right? You're going to want to use a high-gravity potato. Do you have to use russets? No. Anything high gravity. So if you like something like a Yukon, a Yukon is relatively high gravity. What does that mean? It means that um, it, it has uh, uh, it's not as high in water. It's higher in, in in starch than a low gravity potato. Low gravity potatoes are great for making potato salad. All right. Now the question is, how do you make it crispy? You're going to have to cook it twice. Period. Right. If, like anyone who believes that they can like just throw something in cold oil and then bring it up and then all of a sudden they're going to get a delicious French fry, it's possible for it to happen, but it's very unlikely because there's too many variables. You need to cook it at least twice. My recipe on the blog is cooked three times, blanched in water, then oil fried and oil fried again. It is possible some of the best French fries I've ever had ever in Belgium, in fact, uh, they don't do a water blanch. They just go directly into uh, oil. Now, if you want to do it that way, you just have to use the oil at a very much lower temperature and cook it for a lot longer. And they also use a lower temperature on their finished fry and cook it for longer. And what you're balancing is how much liquid you're getting rid of versus uh, the color of the fry. So I'm going to have some recipes in the book um, that, are, that are coming up, but you really have to – there's no such thing as – there's how to achieve the French fry you want with the, with the equipment you have, uh, and for American style restaurants, you know, I, I thought it was easier to do a water blanche and then two oil fries, but you know, the Belgians, like I say, who are the best at it, only just do two oil blanches. That, was that enough, Stas? Yes. That, all right. Uh, Jonathan Maymay wrote in, any tips for flavoring a keg of seltzer? Am I better off using a slice of lemon for each glass rather than attempting to flavor the whole batch? Are there options that would hold up over a weekend versus up to a month? Thanks. Well, I'm that guy that thinks that all flavored seltzers taste like poison. I just like, I would rather, I would always rather have a, a fresh, a squeeze of fresh uh, stuff in my, in my seltzer, even if it's unclarified. That said, um, you want to use something that's not going to uh, – it's not just that it's not going to go bad, but it's that it's not going to ruin the bubbles. So anything you add to it has to be clarified. This is why that all these flavored seltzers use kind of poisonous tasting um, uh, you know, flavoring things because they also don't want to have sugar. So they have to make something that tastes roughly like a fruit but doesn't have sugar and maintains that flavor even though it's incredibly diluted, which is a tough thing to do, which is why I think they taste poisonous. But um, – the least poisonous tasting are like lemon and, and lime, 
Uh, and for those, you know, you could add a mixture of acids or you could add some cordial and a mixture of acids and get something approaching it. But eh, I would just say squeeze something fresh. What do you think, Stas? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Wells writes in, uh, enjoy the podcast. Keep up the work. Um, question about blue steel pans. Uh, I'm used to cooking almost everything on nonstick. Did we do this one already? No. No? I'm used to uh, cooking almost everything on nonstick. Please don't judge. But I now have two uh, high-quality blue steel pans. Uh, I can get a decent initial seasoning on them using the Serious Eats method and basic uh, soy vegetable oil, but I have no clue how to maintain it. By the way, don't use soy oil uh, for frying. Don't use soy oil for frying. Going back to the French fry thing, I think a huge mistake people make. Soy oil has uh, a lot of uh, a specific um, uh, fatty acid in it called linolenic, linolenic, not linoleic. I don't want to hear people saying that linoleic is that I said linoleic is bad, linolenic. And that is the reason why – so here's a little secret. When they make oil, right, they, they have – it's called um, – uh, deodorized, uh, bleached, like reduced, like, uh, you know, they do all this stuff to oil to make it as neutral as possible. But then it starts going bad, right? And one of the things that goes bad is with linolenic acid is, is that you get these kind of f- like terrible fishy aromas, right? You guys have all, Stas, you hate that, right? When, yes, when, when someone that. overheats like soy so oil much. and you get that kind of like gross fish aroma. Can't. Yeah. I, I, like the, even the thought of it makes me kind of, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because soy oil sucks for frying. It's fine, like neutral. Now, now you're going to say, but Dave, Dave, some of the best fry oils are soy oils. Yeah, well, industrial fry oils have all of their linolenic acid removed from them. They also add special antioxidants to those oils and anti-foaming things to make them specifically good for frying. Those oils are so heavily tweaked that it doesn't matter what the original ingredients that they made them uh, out of are because they're just they're, – they're basically like franken oils. You know what I mean? Yes. So uh, don't use soy. Uh, you know what? Like for frying, I like – and I know peanut's great if you like peanut. Corn oil is cheap and, and it doesn't taste like corn oil when it's heated up. So corn oil is one of those oils that tastes like corn when it's raw. And so you're like, why would I use this for frying? It makes a bad salad oil, right? Corn oil makes a bad salad oil. Yes. Uh, but corn oil is good for frying and it's cheap as hell, right? And by the way, just as you know, uh, if it just says vegetable oil, it's probably some mixture of like canola and soy. And canola I have my problems with too on stinking when it gets uh, uh, over fried if it's not done right. Remember uh, – you guys probably don't. But like early canola oil smelled real bad. Anyway, uh, so don't judge uh, a fry oil by how it tastes if it hasn't been um, – how it hasn't been cooked. You got to worry about two things. Like I say, is it going to make those disgusting fishy aromas? Is it going to get what's called reversion flavors where it all of a sudden starts tasting like the crap they made it out of? That happens, but not with corn. Anyway, uh, but back to your question. Uh, I use soy oil on the serious, uh, soy oil on the serious eats method, but I have no clue how to maintain it. My pans never get truly non-stick. No way I could cook an egg in them without serious sticking. It seems that every time I use and need to clean them using soap and the soft side of a dish sponge, the seasoning comes off. What am I doing wrong? Cleaning them with kosher salt alone seems to help, but it's still a huge pain to have to essentially re-season every time I use them. Am I using the wrong oil? Am I using the wrong seasoning method? Does it just take a while to fully break them in? And will someone with a soy allergy have a reaction if I use soy oil the season? I don't think so. Uh, please, uh, help me use these gorgeous pans. Thanks. So, uh, all right. So on Instagram right now, you can go look Mizen, who is uh, one of the companies and they sell some of these blue steel pans has a really cool graphic up now where they show like a brand new pan and then like in various stages of seasoning. And, you know, it's actually a pretty cool graphic. I think what you need to do is just don't worry about it. It's just going to take a long time to season. Like I don't even think about calling one of these things nonstick for like a couple months after I keep using it a lot. Um, they should season at roughly the same rate as uh, cast iron. The one thing you have to be careful is that because the steel is so much thinner and lighter than cast iron, uh, just be careful when you're seasoning it not to like – it can quickly overheat, right? Whereas the cast iron – uh, it's got so much more mass that it doesn't kind of overheat as f- and it doesn't conduct heat as quickly as the steel does. So it's easier to overheat the blue uh, steel when you're when you're seasoning it. 
but I, I wouldn't worry about it. I would just like, let it do it, let it do its thing. And as long as you, you know, make sure that no, you know, weird crusty bits get caught on it, it's eventually just going to get better and better and better and better and better with time. As long as your son doesn't throw it on the burner, walk away and burn the seasoning off, which happened with one of my cast iron. I was so bent. I was so bent. The other thing is Booker, Stats, Booker has been making, freaking, been using my cast irons now. I, I have all these cast iron sizzle platters at home. You've seen my sizzle platters, right? Mm-hmm. So he's been using these freaking things, Stas, to make his salmon. So he, he I, I joke, he's like, a, he's like a bear. He eats only salmon. He fires up the, the Anova, low temp cooks his, uh, his salmon every day, and then finishes it in, in a pan. He now puts so much flour on the bottom of these fish because, like, he wants to basically just eat, like, a roux. So he, like, he just floods the pan with flour and butter. And then he doesn't adequately clean them, so my seasoning is getting gloppy on them. I've had these pans for over 20 years I've been seasoning them, and it just takes one knucklehead son, like, going salmon after salmon after salmon to start building up that weird crusty on the coating. What am I going to do? Tell him to get a dorm. Yeah. Uh, Patrick wrote in via Instagram, what springs in Saratoga do you recommend trying? Well, what I recommend you do is, uh, look, most of the ones that are, so Saratoga Springs, if you go to Saratoga Springs in town, there's a couple of springs and for that one, like Hathorne is nice, but just go to this, go to the park, go to the, uh, the Saratoga Springs, the park, uh, that's right next to SPAC where apparently like everyone there says Dave Matthews plays every year and the entire town waits for Dave Matthews to come play. Are you a Dave Matthews fan? Any of you guys? It's okay. Uh, Stas, I thought you were. No. no. It's not my style. It's not my style of music. It's not my thing. No, I don't, not really a fan. My favorite thing about but him his was his tour bus for... dropped all that poop over the bridge. Remember that? No. His tour bus driver. You told this story twice on a year already. All right. Unbe- uh, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, dropped. Well, apparently <laughs> Jack was listening. Okay. Yeah. All right. Dropped a bunch of poop on people. I love that. My favorite thing. Caller, you're on the air. Hi, how's it going? Doing all right. What's up? But I have a question about uh, carbonating fruit. Okay. So I've been experimenting with the dry ice in a cooler. And I was curious if there's a faster way to do it. Yeah, the issue with dry ice in a cooler is it's never going to really build up pressure. And to get, uh, to really carbonate something, you're going to need to get uh, pressure in. The one thing I'll say about uh, carbonated fruit is that, you know, this was something that, um, you know, a lot of people were working on in the early 2000s. Homaru Kantu, I think, even, you know, back then tried to make a piece of equipment so that people could uh, carbonate fruit. The issue with it is, is that um, highly carbonated fruit or carbonated fruit tastes like it started to ferment. So what? So you have to just bear in mind that like that what's going to happen is, is that you're going to get something that's tasting kind of like it's fermenting because that's what your mind tells you has happened to fruit that's carbonating. But I would just, I would just put it into okay. it, it, this. Another reason is people, yeah, you, you have to use relatively, um, high water fruit and like it's hard to get the co2 to diffuse all the way in because it's not a liquid so it takes a long time for the co2 to diffuse in so like i know people were putting things into into ec whippers and then like um pressurizing them with co2 and then letting them like sit in their fridge for like a day or two you know what i'm saying to try to get the carbonation in so i would try that it's not going to help you on larger fruit but larger fruit is not gonna another thing you can do is not going to soak it in. Not going to soak it in. So like things that are like high in water, things that you can get to like watermelon, like that's one of the, the people used to do berries and they used to do watermelon, right? Uh, all, all kinds of, all kinds of melon. Watermelon tastes pretty good carbonated, but I, I would try it in an EC just because if you don't build up that pressure, it's never going to get super duper carbonated, but I would be very careful of using dry right. ice in a sealed container unless it's got a pressure vent. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, perfect. That kind of answers my question then. All right. Let us know. Uh, tweet me back and let me know how it works. So, uh, Patrick, go to the park. You got to try them all. Um, here's the issue. State Seal is the kind of the water that most people, locals get, and it's basically rainwater. It's runoff water. But you're going to need, if you're drinking a lot of the funkier waters, it's very high in salt. I've never had as bad a hangover as when I go to Saratoga and taste waters just because it, they're so high in salt. 
Uh, Hathorn 3 is the one that you're going to want to take for cocktail work because it's so strong that you can use just a little bit of it. It's great in mezcal drinks. Uh, we did, you know, the Saratoga Paloma we did with Hathorn 3. That's right by the entrance to the park. That is the funkiest of all the waters. Um, but I like one of the new springs they have, Shantz. You just need to taste them all. You need to taste them all and realize that the sulfur that's in them will flash off. So don't uh, don't judge a water by the sulfur. The sulfur goes away very quickly. That answer the question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Nick Robertson wrote in, uh, the company I'm working for is a beer has a, a beer and wine license at the moment. They're afraid that adding a cocktail program will spoil the golden goose of a restaurant as they believe cocktails will spoil the table's turn times. Uh, how can I ease their concerns? Obviously, there's value in having a robust program beyond dollars and cents, but uh, I'd like for the acquisition of the cocktail program not to be an uphill battle. However, uh, uh, there is skill and craft and therefore labor costs into serving cocktails. What are your thoughts? Um, I find that, uh, look, cocktail program is, is usually driven by bar, which is considered the front of the house kind of people. And they're often pushback from the back of the house on programs that are seen to kind of mess with the back of house kind of vibe. Um, I mean, look, you're your margins are very high. I, I don't, I don't think you're going to increase that. I mean, look, here's what I would do. I would say, why don't you try it? If your check average goes up, then, Hey, your check average just went up and you can see whether or not you turn the tables more. It's not, it's the kind of thing that you can test out without it being like a big gamboche. You know what I mean? You don't have to like, you don't have to freaking change the world to try it out. Um, I don't know anyone who, you know, put cocktails in and then all of a sudden started losing money while they were making money before. You know what I mean? I don't know. Just try it. Next. Wow. Guy's got a real problem. He's trying to convince. I don't see how that's a problem. Because he has to, he's having a problem because the chef and the, the, I guarantee you it's the chef and the chef is like, I don't want this messing with the, we want, you know, we're, we're pump and dump. We want to get the people in and out. You know what I mean? I don't think people linger over over cocktails. It's not like you're at a bar where they are lingering over cocktails. When you're at a table and you want a cocktail, they order it with the thing. I don't think it's a problem. I mean, I mean, I think if they don't want to share creative, I, I, I mean, I would look if if the battle is is that they don't want to share creative input with uh, the bartender and they want to have full creative control over everything that puts people put in their mouths, then you've lost that battle before it started, and you're not going to win. You know what I mean? If that's what the true problem is. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. What? Nastasia doesn't want me to say anything. So, yeah. Uh, There's no harm in trying something. And then if it well, there is. Work. They're saying that they won't let him try. Oh, if he's going to get fired, then don't try. They're in between roads. He's asking for advice on how to convince them that it's a good idea. Here's, the, here's why. Because you can make something that costs you $2 and you can sell it for $15 or $16. You know what I mean? It's like it, it, the, the, the poor cost on a cocktail is very low compared to food costs. And the labor cost of making the cocktail is usually covered by someone who is getting paid front of house wages and gets most of their work on tips anyway, right? So the actual true cost of a cocktail is a lot lower than, let's say, adding another app to the menu, right? And- you know, but again, it's like, you know, if maybe bring the chef into like have a creative session on the ideas, get them interested in it. But, you know, the margins on cocktails are great, you know, and anyway, um, mass preacher, uh, 5019 wrote in, uh, I really, okay. Good afternoon, sir. This must've come in. John just got this off, uh, Instagram. I hope you are the author of liquid intelligence. Uh, in one section I am. Uh, in one section, you mentioned the surface area of ice is directly proportional to the melting area, and hence there would be more dilution. I think there's getting confused here. A few pages later, it's also mentioned that smaller ice uh, with respect to volume provides more dilution. These two theories seem to be contradictory. I'd be grateful if you could spare a moment and explain this if I got it wrong somewhere. You did get it wrong somewhere. Here's how it works. Um, surface area is a function of the... Uh, square of the of the size whereas the volume goes as the cube right so a big big chunk of ice has much less surface area for how much ice is there for the mass of ice than does 
uh, a smaller amount, and I'll, I'll prove it to you real fast. Take a cube of ice, right? Now, if you cut that cube of ice in half, right, it has all of the surface area it used to have plus the two new faces where you cut it in half. So you have the same amount of ice, but now you have more surface area because you've created two more planes that weren't there before. Cut it again, you increase the surface area again. Every time you take a large block and you break it into smaller pieces, you're increasing the surface area. Melting happens at the surface. Therefore, if you uh, increase the surface area and it's actively melting, you will increase the dilution. So smaller ice favors more dilution in a given amount of time, right? Assuming that you're not at equilibrium, right? Large ice has a large ice has less surface area per volume and therefore will dilute less, right? So I don't know like whether you missed something in the in what what I wrote, right? But that that's what it did I explain that accurately, Stas? Does that yes. make any sense? All right. Uh from Lightbox Digital Studio, um I continue to learn uh, from Liquid Intelligence. Thanks. Uh, I need your advice on something. Do you have a trick to remove the wax from fruits, particularly citrus, prior to using for garnish? Uh, cooks say pouring boiling water over the fruits remove the wax, but it seems to kill the essential oils I'm looking for. Thanks. Thanks for the book. Um, I've just never worried about the the any wax or, or oil coating. Um, I've just never worried about it. I'll have to ask, uh, and I don't know if we'll ever talk to David Karp again. Because, I don't know, like, he doesn't mean, like, he's not part of, maybe you'll talk to him. You're the kind of person that talks to people, stuff. Maybe you'll talk to him. I'll ask him, or I'll ask Carol the next time I talk to him. But I've never really thought about it because I've never seen it as a problem, right? So when I'm using a cocktail, look, take your fruit, your citrus, you peel it, right? And then if you squeeze it, you you squeeze the peel. If you see that spray, that awesome spray of juice coming out, uh, not juice, oils coming out, then that must mean that the wax wasn't enough to stop that from happening. So I don't like the, the wax that they put on, on fruits. I don't even know if they wax them all anymore. Isn't poisonous. So I don't know that you're helping yourself by getting rid of it. Right. Yeah. And online it says pour boiling water on it. So yeah, but if you pour boiling water on it, you will and remove. Then scrub it with a, yeah, I know. So, but, like, but I understand why I understand you, what you're saying. I don't understand why you would need to do it. I don't I understand. Don't like what's the reason you hate the wax. So maybe much. he thinks it's poisonous. Maybe it's not it, poisonous. I know. So then there's no reason to, because you're talking about the spray, losing yeah. the spray. So if, like, if, if the wax prevents the spray from coming out, that would be a problem. But I've never noticed that being a problem. Another thing, you know what I can't figure out? So like, you know how oils, uh, you know how um, eggs, uh, they're porous, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's why, uh, did I tell you what I did the other day? Oh my Maybe. God. So- you know the pressure cooked eggs that we do all the time? So uh, remember years ago at the SCI, I put a bunch of eggs as a test. I put them in the oven yeah. and they, they got the brown spots on the pores and then they turned kind of hameen in, in, the, in the thing. So I did that again in my oven. They exploded. Weird. Like exploded. And I don't know whether or not the eggs had somehow been sealed or whether or not they just self-plugged the holes up because they dried out because they had a really high convection on. Now, I did it in a convection oven at the SCI too, right? But they sprayed, like when an egg explodes, I'd only ever before exploded an egg in a microwave. You ever done that? Yeah, yeah. It's ugly. Mm -hmm. It smells real bad. I used to like... I once did it at somebody else's house. It was terrible at a party. Someone was like, hey, what, what are fun things to do in a microwave? I'm like, hey, I threw a bunch of eggs in and you turn it on. And with it, when you throw an egg in the microwave, it's, it's not guaranteed that the thing's going to blow up. You're not guaranteed it's going to blow up. But when it does, oh my God, is it smelly. Oh my God, does it smell bad? And I had to clean that all out of my toaster the other day. And it's just like, it looks like alien because it, it, it had already gone hamina. It had gone brown, right? Yeah. And- and it had just, it, it, it's like, you know, when the, when the alien came out of the chest, yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah, that. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. boom. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. All right. You got one minute to wrap it up with something interesting. Well, I, I mean, I don't have anything interesting. There's, I have, I've never have anything interesting. Jack, what do you got that's interesting in Long Island? Jack. No, Jack. Oh, no, Jack. Remember? Uh, yeah. I thought he came back. I heard it. I heard it like he came back. Uh, I have, I'm doing a grill out on Saturday and Dave won't come. 
Are you inviting everyone to the to nope. the gorilla? Zero people are allowed to uh, come. But uh, you are invited. Uh, we're invited. But I you see. and you always say, I you never invite you, but that's not true. You well, just to, never you, come. you're inviting me to something that's in Connecticut. You go to Connecticut all the time because your in-laws and your sister-in-law lives there. So I don't, I don't know. know. So Connecticut mm-hmm. is not a problem. I don't know. Dax, has, excuse. Dax has a, uh, Dax has a meet. I don't know when it is. Okay. All right. We'll see. We'll see. Are you going to do a, uh, are you going to do a, a, I'm going to do a, a, uh, underground cook. You are? Yes. You're and lying. Then, you made and that I up. swear to God, actually, when I was like going to say that, and then I was like, oh, he's going to think I made it up. <laughs> now I don't know whether you're lying to me I or swear not. to you. I swear to you. It's so hard to, it, I, I, after all these years, Nastasia, I can't tell I, whether you're lying I, to me or not. I promise you. I promise you. What are you going to cook underground? Ariel's figuring that out. Now mm. you know it's real, because Ariel. <laughs> now, oh, now. We got to get Ariel back on the show. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Cooking issues. Yeah. 